start? Well, we have 23, 23 and then 24, 24 people. That's great. Yeah. Yep. I think we can go ahead and get going. And as others come in, they're welcome to jump in and ask questions. But we'll, let's go ahead and start. Right. Perfect. My name is Tony Kellen. I'm with the Wendell uh, Consulting Team. We're a New York-based consulting firm. I happen to be out of Minneapolis. We're a national firm and doing business in 38 states. We've been doing public transportation projects as part of our business model for over 40 years. And so this is not an unfamiliar, unfamiliar territory for us. So the purpose of this week, we're doing a design exercise and there's really two projects that were uh, two distinct pieces to this project. The first is uh, the multimodal facility at Bob Billings Parkway and Crestline. Um, that is going to be the main hub for transferring. Uh, we'll have a approximately 5,000 square foot waiting facility, room for bike lockers, some parking, uh, 10 bus slips for the city bus and university bus system. Uh, it's on land owned by the University of Kansas. KU has their bus system that's jointly run together by First Transit. Uh, we've engaged with a lot of those folks already. I think we've had 10 stakeholder meetings already. Um, this is our first so-called open public session. Um, we have another public session this evening. So if you know anybody that would like to join us that can't join us today, they can do that tonight from 6 to 8 p.m. Um, so what we're really trying to accomplish here is we want to hear what you, what your thoughts are and what your concerns are in regard to these two projects. So again, the first being the multimodal and then the second piece, which is the downtown transfer center. Um, Adam, the public transit director has a concurrent project going on called the route redesign, I believe. There's also some public engagement that's possibly going to be happening or maybe has happened already uh, on that project. And um, you may recall back in 2018, there was some previous studies done that looked at locations for a transfer center uh, that were both downtown and other places. So the downtown transfer center that we're talking about now has changed shape quite a bit from what it was three years ago. Now it's a, more of a limited stop. It's uh, up to five bus bays. Um, we've looked at five sites downtown. That has been kind of narrowed down to about three and uh, so we'd like to hear your concerns uh, and just kind of open the floor for you. These are listening sessions. We want to hear what your considerations and concerns are about uh, both of those projects. So feel free to just identify yourself by name. And if you uh, are representing somebody uh, or if you're just a private citizen, doesn't matter to us. We want to hear what you have to say. So feel free to um, jump in. I think we have a small enough group where I don't know, Anne, do we need to raise a hand to have them unmuted or how is that going to work? I think we should be fine. Yeah, right now we have like about 30 people. So I think, you know, it's here, try, just trying to give people a second to, uh, to to finish their conversation before you jump in, but let's do it. And if we get too crazy, we'll do a hand, we'll do a flag, we'll flag each other. I think it's... And just one other thing I might add too, is we don't have a project designed to show you yet. That's what we're, that's what we're here for this week to kind of figure some of those things out. So at the stage that we're at now, um, we're just starting to get into layouts and designs. So today is really a listening session to hear what you, again, as I said, want to see and what concerns you might have in regards to either one of these facilities. We will be coming back in June with the additional public meetings, two of them, I believe. 
um, where you'll get a chance to see the different options and recommendations for both of these projects. So with that, I'm gonna be quiet uh, unless somebody has a question for Barry me. Barry has a question here. Okay, go ahead. Barry, you wanna join in? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's really hard for me to be able to offer much in the way of comment or input without having a little bit more um, information. Like you said, that you're looking at three sites downtown. Um, it would be helpful to know what those three locations are and sort of functionally um, what you're envisioning would happen there so that we could give more focused input on um, what amenities might be useful or what design features you should be considering. But right now, I guess I don't feel like I have enough information to be able to make a meaningful comment. Okay, thanks, Barry. I appreciate that. I can maybe share some additional information. So we've identified three sites. They're city parking lots on Vermont Street in downtown. We've also identified two sites on uh, New Hampshire. One of the sites is over by the farmer's market. The other is on the other end, I believe. Uh, Adam, you're gonna have to help me with directions. I'm, I'm directionally challenged south on the south end of New Hampshire. Um, north, north, actually, yep. North end of New Hampshire. Yep. The three sites on Vermont are between <laughs> 9th and 10th, 8th and 9th, and 7th and 8th. So let's, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. So if we're looking at Vermont, uh, between 8th and 9th, 9th and 10th, and 10th and 11th, okay. the, the three lots looked at over there, on New Hampshire, between 7th and 8th, and 8th and 9th. Those are the city-owned parking lots we were looking at. Okay. So in regard to, I'm sensing, Barry, that your downtown is the area you're referring to um, when you're wondering how it might lay out. We are favoring what's called uh, um, sawtooth configuration. And really what that is is the bus pulls in at a, right now you know downtown, they pull up right against the curb. In a sawtooth configuration, they pull into a bump out, they're in at a little bit of an angle, and we would put try to put all five on one side of a plane, and those buses would independently pull in or pull out without affecting any of the other buses. So if you can envision five buses kind of slightly at diagonals, uh, one right after the other, and with enough room where if bus number three pulls in, uh, when one and two and four and five are already there, he can do that or she can do that. And you can also pull out regard, regardless of whether there are other buses there. So it offers you the ability to always have a bus in the same spot. You're, you're never going to have to wonder what, you know, who's pulled in first, where's my bus. Um, it's also going to offer uh, some seating area. It's going to offer uh, basic amenities like canopy covering so that you're out of the rain. We look at doing things like windscreening, landscaping, room for loading and unloading bicycles, uh, room for bus information systems. Um, all those kinds of amenities have been uh, planned for the downtown location. Um, 
no indoor facilities uh, at the downtown location. The Bob Billings facility is going to have that same type of uh, configuration uh, with the exception that you're going to now also have an interior waiting area, an area to potentially someday purchase uh, tickets or get information, um, public restrooms that you can use in between transferring um, that type of thing. Barry? Does that help at all, yes, Barry? A little, give you a little more information? Yes, thank you. Barry, are you a regular bus rider? Uh, I am not. Okay. I am a, a neighborhood association president and um, we are mostly just here for information purposes, but um, as I listen, I may have more comments to make. Right. So one thing I can say, uh, I'm, it's really good that you're here at the meeting. Um, we love that engagement from the neighborhood. When we envision these uh, transfer centers, even at this scale, we try to uh, build something that actually complements the, the natural uh, environment and also, and also complements the neighborhood. So we want these things to be attractable, uh, attractive, excuse me. Um, we're looking at, uh, we have a light that shuts off every seven minutes here to save energy, sorry about that. Um, we look at um, trying to build something that doesn't stick out as a sore thumb in the neighborhood, but actually blends in with the neighborhood. It has good amenities, it has good lighting. Um, when we design, uh, we have a lot of uh, principles that we follow. Um, you know, there's a, there's a theory in design called uh, crime prevention through environmental design, it's called CPTED. And what it, what it does is it looks at um, how can we design a facility where people feel safe in that natural environment? Um, so you're not, you know, hidden by landscaping so that you don't have somebody that's going to come around the corner five feet from you from where you're walking where you have minimum sight lines like 30 feet is, a, is one of the criteria that's used. So that if you're walking down the street and you see somebody in front of you, or you're walking down the island of uh, the bus uh, island or the sidewalk in the city, and you decide that you don't wanna cross paths with the person that you were seeing in front of you, you have options to take a different path. Um, we look to use lighting, uh, landscaping, and other things in that environment that complement the neighborhood, that fit with the neighborhood, uh, that blend in. And so we want this transfer center, the look and feel of it, um, as well as the Bob Billings Crestline site to actually complement and fit in with the natural environment that, that is out there and, and downtown. Uh, we look at adding things downtown when we do this rather than just dumping people off on the sidewalk and letting them fend for themselves, we want to create a comfortable environment, a, a good uh, passenger experience that um, is good not only for the passengers, but also for other people that are using the downtown business district and shopping. So when we look at the parking lots that we're using, uh, we want the bus, the, the bus piece of it to actually complement uh, that. 
And so the more things that we can do in our design and our layout to invite more people into that space, that creates more, uh, more safety, more security, and more uh, acceptance of the project in the neighborhood. Um, so we're looking at adding green spaces, uh, mini park space, um, and some of the concepts that we've already been uh, developing, things like that. This is not gonna be just a hard surface um, with a metal bus shelter that, that, you know, where a bus pulls in and just drops people off. It's gonna be much more than that. Oh, Mindy had a question. Mindy. Got Mindy Orberry. Uh, yeah, I guess the other question that I would have is if you're looking at actually using existing parking lots, um, approximately how many parking spaces do you anticipate would be lost? Well, we have this week looking and really drilling down into what we call test fitting, especially in the downtown that you're referring to. We know how much space it takes to maneuver a bus. We know how much space it takes for each sawtooth. So for example, each sawtooth is about 65 feet long um, at a minimum. So when we're, when we're looking at laying this stuff out, we look at how can we use the street? How can we use the current sidewalk and expand that? How can we use uh, some of the parking lot? Now in certain situations, we're having to use a lot of the parking lot. And in other situations that we've been looking at, uh, very little of the parking lot. Um, one area I guess that we've spent maybe more time that on than others is the uh, Vermont site between 10th and 11th. Um, on 10th and 11th, there's a center turn lane. So we really eight, eighth and ninth, uh, I Tony, I think is what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know why I can't seem to get these. I think I'm completely turned around and for end north to south, Adam. <laughs> um, I should have a cheat sheet in front of me, but well, we've been running the meetings, so many, <laughs> so many meetings, getting information. I apologize, but uh, so okay, uh, as on the site that Adam was just mentioning, um, that's a long linear space, so it allows us to get all five buses on the same plane. Um, so in that situation there, uh, which is you know rising to the top is one of our best options, and one even that the city parking folks have have thought has some very good possibilities. We could eliminate the center turn lane, uh, do bump outs on each end of that block in order to make pedestrian crossings safer. We eliminate the center turn lane and we use uh, the parallel parking lane to uh, park the buses, five of them in the sawtooth configuration. And then on the opposite side of the street, rather than uh, keeping the parallel parking, we use diagonal parking which gains about 30% more parking spots on the other side of the street. We use those uh, diagonal spots across the street from that parking lot as long-term parking. So there, there's not a lot of movement in and out of them, but the net loss in parking is, is uh, very uh, less significant than um, if we don't do some of those other mitigations. And we take, you know, there's been some discussion from the city and other folks about the difficulty of making the turns in and out of, of that uh, lot on Vermont. 
So we actually do entry into Vermont on one end, and then we do entry and exit out on the other end, actually on, I believe, is it Ninth Street, Adam, I think? Yes. So um, that is rising to the top as one of our more favorable of the three downtown options with the least impact on parking. And um, I think it has some, some good features to it. We also are able to add some uh, park space, so to speak, like a little mini park on the end of the block as well. That cr creates, what we want to do is we want to create a natural conduit from the bus because there is no openings in between the, the, the old alleyway and the parking lot and to the storefronts. Uh, we kind of create the natural walkway from the bus transfer center through the city sidewalk to that corner and then up 9th Street to Massachusetts. So it's a good overall uh, approach that actually um, lends itself to being, you know, intuitively uh, the pathway to take to and from the business, the front front, front door of the businesses. Mindy has a question here. Uh, go ahead, say Mindy. Yeah, Mindy. Yeah. Sorry, I forgot to unmute last time. Um, this is Mindy with KU, can you hear me now? Yes. yes. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I had one question. This was probably in some of the information earlier, but I didn't know. Are these both being considered at the same time as complements to each other, or is there going to be one or the other facilities? Um, are you referring to the multimodal versus the downtown? Yes. Yeah, no, they're, they're separate and distinct facilities, but very interrelated. So okay. the majority of your uh, transferring is going to happen at the multimodal, but there's also going to be some very important connections that will be looked at in the route redesign. And Adam can add to that if you'd like, but um, right now you have eight routes transferring downtown. Uh, this reduces it to five uh, in the downtown, three to five, really. Um, I think that answers the. I think that answers the question. So we are. Yeah, I had a couple more questions. Yep, keep um, going. One, uh, another one was: Is there consideration of how we could possibly incorporate um, a spot or, or a way to, to get the Greyhound bus in here? Um, it would be, you know, I think thinking on behalf of international students and the fact that you know we have students taking the Greyhound bus as well as the train. Um, many of them don't have cars. It would be really great to try to incorporate, you know, those two somehow in this design. Um, I mean, the, right now the Greyhound bus is at seventh uh, at the library, seventh in Vermont, so it's not far. But um, you know, just thinking about that, at least including signage, if, if it can't be moved, um, and then just. You know, like I brought this up during the stakeholder meeting, but it's very important. I think there's a lot of international students on campus that do not have cars. Um, my office in particular works with groups of international students that are here only for three to eight weeks. And, you know, it's impossible for them to have cars. A lot of times they don't have the contacts of friends, American friends where they who do have cars. And so thinking about the redesign is making sure that those routes that go through campus um, in high student population areas, um, you know, the students can get to the areas they need, especially like the, the 31st in Iowa and downtown. Um, 
in as short a time as possible without, you know, transferring isn't necessarily an issue, but, you know, going out to the multimodal facility takes up extra time as opposed to the Route 11 now that goes straight from downtown to um, 31st and Iowa just going through campus. It's already a long route and adding, you know, another 15 minutes makes it horribly long for students um, that don't have cars. So I just, I want to make sure I keep bringing that up because I think it's very important. Yeah, we, have, yeah, we had Greyhound, uh, two individuals from that organization in one of our stakeholder meetings. Um, my background, um, I ran a transit system for 30 years before I joined Wendell eight years ago. And from 1992 until 2013, when I left, we were a Greyhound ticketing agency and package agency in our intermodal in St. Cloud, Minnesota. So I'm very familiar with Greyhound. So there's a couple different things that I think um, I wanna just mention about that. And thanks for bringing it up. The first would be that there's definitely two intermodal, or excuse me, two intercity slots at the new intermodal, or excuse me, multimodal by campus on Bob Billings. Um, I don't know what's gonna happen with the route redesign, but I think there's gonna be a natural uh, shuttle service that's probably going to develop between the campus and the multimodal that circulates back and forth. I, I don't pretend to know anything about the route redesign study at this point, to be very honest, but I sense that that could be something that would be continually running from there. In regard to whether or not Greyhound does or does not keep their uh, downtown pickup spot, in some cities I've seen where they have had a, had a pickup location where they swing through. In other situations, I've seen where their schedule doesn't allow it and they have to just pick one or the other, in which in this case, I think they would probably pick the Bob Billings Crestline site because it's gonna be more modern, uh, I'm saying more modern, but it's gonna have more space, uh, potentially inside waiting area for people with luggage and so forth. Um, and then Adam may explore some other possibilities I don't want to put words in his mouth, but there was some discussion in the previous meeting about how Greyhound services might be enhanced at the multimodal with, uh, you know, automated ticketing and things like that. So um, I think we're very engaged, and Adam especially is very engaged with Greyhound. And so I think that is definitely something that has not been forgotten. There's another uh, intercity connector too. Is that KC Connect or what is that called, Adam? Yeah. Yeah. So we anticipate we're we are planning on and working with the K10 connector and um, uh, Rad KC. Uh, likely that the K10 connector would come to the new multimodal facility at Bob Billings and Crestline. Um, right. That'll that'll be pretty close to their current routing and probably a natural easy fit for them to go there. And it it is sounding like Greyhound would be interested in in moving to that area as well um, just a straight shot down Iowa Street off the highway for them um, you know as, as uh, Tony mentioned we are so facility project that we're all in meeting for right now is concurrent with route redesign study happening this year um, each of these kind of informs the other so uh, a lot of that route redesign work is still to come to ensure we don't um, you know lose what's convenient about our current system but but try to make it better I do think there's a very high probability that there's um, good connecting service between multimodal facility at Bob Billings campus and downtown. I think that's going to be a natural um, uh, 
connection that there's there's quite a bit of service there. So um, if there's still a need for people coming in on the Greyhound to get to the downtown area, I think there should be plenty of routing opportunities for that. And Adam, this is a, a quiz at KU, and I just kind of want to go back to Mindy's statement about the international students. You know, you're right, Mindy, it, in the scheme of things, with the way a current uh, route runs that may go directly to an apartment complex that serves, stu- you know, primarily students, you might think that makes no sense than going to the transfer facility to then go to campus. And so I don't know that all of our routes are going to go right through the transfer facility. It's kind of like what Adam just said. We got to look at some of those and what's the best thing to keep in place for certain folks and what's the best thing to have go through the the transfer facility. So definitely great points though about international students and we want to make the shortest routes as possible. And if that means keeping a couple of them the exact same, because that benefits the students getting straight to campus, you know, we'll, we'll definitely going to try to keep that uh, in place. So we'll look at that in the route redesign though. Hey, Quiz, this Thank is Tony. Um, just a question. I'm not familiar at all, I will admit, with the route system here. Uh, I haven't had the opportunity to, to look at it very closely at all. Um, do you think there's a possibility that there would be just a regular, a single bus connector from campus to the multimodal, or is that something that will just be designed, looked at in the route step? Yeah, we, we'll definitely look at it, but, you know, uh, Margretta made the comment. I think, I don't know if Margretta's on this call or not. I can't see who all's on here. I think she is, but. Yes, um, I am here. Yeah, Margretta made the comment either uh, yesterday or a day before that, you know, out of our three circulator routes that are running right now on campus, that maybe we have one of our circulators that would stop over at the at the transfer hub and and you know pick up folks over there and get them up to campus but we don't know that all three of our circulators would stop over there so i do think that we would have one of our circulators you know add in the the multimodal transfer hub as a as a stopping point um and just add that into the circulator route so um we'll have to figure that out but i think that's what we would be what we would be doing Right. Thanks, Chris. Um, okay, Mindy, did you have more? Your hand is still up. You took her hand down. All right, she took her hand down. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to put my hand up except to physically do it, but I would like to say something if, if I could have a turn. Let's go ahead, Jennifer. Who do you represent? Myself. Oh, perfect. I, I live in East Lawrence and I ride the bus um, anywhere that I cannot walk. So more than a mile or two from my house. And so primarily that uh, I'm retired that um, involves going to medical facilities um, in various other parts of town. So my concern is it has been very convenient for me to have all the buses um, that I need, almost all available from where it currently is. And with the multimodal facility, um, my concern is that I would be transferring and adding significantly to the amount of time, for example, particularly now that we have both the the old LMH facility and the new one way out 6th Street, um, will, will, will that become a much more encumbered essentially a process for me to get from this part of town 
to that part of town. And I know that's um, the re redesign um, is critical to all that, but I, I did wanna speak up for my usage and also to mention that I, I also um, use the Greyhound bus and Amtrak. So from my perspective, having those downtown is a real asset for me, easy walking distance. Um, although obviously I see the, the need for a connection with KU being important too. Um, Right. Adam, do you want to respond to that? I mean, facilities wise, Jennifer, we're going to make sure that, um, you know, we're, we're actually more on the facility side, not the routing side. So um, it's probably a question for Adam. And I'm sure there'll be other opportunities during that route study to address that as well. Yeah, those are good comments. I mean, we'll absolutely fold this into all that work. There are um, probably in the next two weeks or so is when some info will be coming out on the route redesign study on how to get engaged more directly in those discussions about um, about potential route changes that, that will need to come from this. Um, but I would be interested to hear from someone like you, Jennifer, who does walk over to that and, and use buses from there on the facility side and maybe your experience with how it currently is and um, what sorts of things you like and don't like about wh what we're currently doing downtown. It works really well for me. I, I love its proximity to the library. I think that's that relationship between the bus service and the library has, has really benefited the city a lot. Um, and having staff there recently to keep it clean and answer questions. And um, I, for me, it's it's been a really positive experience to have it there. Jennifer, how do you feel about the one block distance from the library if you have route information provided and the bus is always going to be in the same reliable spot, those types of things? I think that's helpful. You know, there's always some anxiety waiting there of where's my bus? Is it coming? When's it going to come? I don't, um, you know, I don't use the app, um, but it's um, so uh, th that that would be an improvement. Yeah, because one of the improvements that we're going to have at the at both locations is uh, it's envisioned that we'd have you know bus arrival information coming in you know to that bus spot um, as well as inside the waiting area at Bob Billings as to when different routes are arriving when they're scheduled to depart that type of thing. There's really you know a lot of information that can be presented with technology. Barry, Barry has another question too. Okay, go ahead, Barry. Yeah, as I listen, more thoughts come to mind and I really appreciate um, Jennifer's comments. Um, it seems to me like maybe um, Vermont Street might be a better location than New Hampshire. I say this being on the other side of um, downtown, so it would actually maybe be a little bit less convenient for some of our residents. But when you look at the um, overall service, um, 
on Vermont Street, you've got the senior center, you've got the library, and it's a one block walk to the municipal pool. Um, uh, on uh, New Hampshire Street side, there's the uh, art center. Um, but I think overall, probably more of the public uses that would be major destinations for people would be on Vermont Street. So that's something perhaps to consider. Um, the other thing and the reason for my question about um, parking spaces, and I think this is true, um, any place that you choose, um, I'm not a fan of uh, this being such a uh, automobile centric culture, but it is. And um, people are going to drive and the cars need to go someplace. And um, if they are not in the parking lot, they are gonna be on neighborhood streets. And the more development we've seen on New Hampshire Street, the more people we have seen parking on Rhode Island Street. And um, I'm sure that um, the more that might happen on Vermont Street, the more we'll see people parking on neighborhood streets in Old West Lawrence. And so from a neighborhood perspective, I think um, minimizing disruption to existing parking um, would probably be um, something that we would be looking for. Um, yeah. I've got, um, I've got um, in my house, I've got a couple of middle school students who um, I'm looking forward to uh, teaching how to use the bus system once, um, you know, the pandemic is in a condition where more things are open and I'm more comfortable with them going out in public spaces. So although I'm not a regular user of the system myself, um, there is a personal interest in this as well as the neighborhood interest. Thanks. Thanks, Barry. Um, just to reflect on some of your comments, definitely, you know, whenever we work on downtown uh, multimodal projects like this, uh, parking um, and balancing the parking needs versus the public transportation needs is always um, top of mind. And we, uh, we, again, we do believe that some of the options that are starting to gel uh, right now, that um, we're gonna have minimal impacts to the parking. Um, and we've also uh, had access to a 2017 parking study. Um, and so a few of the lots that we're looking at, we know which ones are more heavily used for the 10 hour employee parking versus the retail you know, hourly meter parking. And so those things are being considered. Um, and when I mentioned earlier that we're looking at diagonal parking, 
on uh, on Vermont, I think uh, that mitigates a lot of the parking loss. Uh, but right now, some of the studies information that we've read would say that some of the top candidate sites we're looking at are only in the 60% utilization rate at the peak. So um, obviously there are those uh, crunch times when that's not the case. Uh, you can't capture, you know, the, you know, you can't capture, you know, 24, seven, 365 in a parking study. So you have to rely on sampling, but we feel like we can make the least amount of impact and we're going to be working closely with the city um, and the downtown uh, business uh, representation to make sure that um, everybody is happy um, or satisfied, maybe is a better word, with the solution going forward. We, we, we really are optimistic that we're going to have a good consensus buy-in from everybody by the time we get to the end of this process, uh, where, where everybody's going to feel good about the solution. Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I don't have video, so I don't uh, can't just raise my hand. Um, David, are is he done? Yes, go ahead, David. Okay, um, about these sawtooth uh, um, configurations, is the bus going to have to back out of those places? And if so, how um, safe is that? No, sawtooth configurations uh, don't uh, generally do backing at all. Okay, good. Yeah, so independent in, independent out of every single slot and completely independent of any other bus. So um, you can pull in or pull out, even if you had five slots and uh, one, two, four, and five are filled, number three could pull in and pull right back out and not affect any of the other four. No backing. In our business, backing is never encouraged. Okay. Good observation, though. Thank you. We have a question yeah. in the room here. Yeah, um, I, um, you said that you were considering New Hampshire Street between 9th and 8th. Right, isn't that? Yes. Um, on Saturdays is the farmer's market on the east side. And then on the, I don't know if I have this right, on the west side is the parking lot that butts up to a Mexican restaurant. Am I in the right block? Yes. That's one of them, yes. If I am, what about the exhaust and everything and the noise for the Mexican restaurant? Because they do outdoor dining. It's just a question thrown out there as possible things to think about. And then I think the rest of my um, questions probably have to do to whoever's in charge of the rally. As I have some concerns about Bob Billings Parkway and the Crestline intersection. Um, the flow there, I, I, I suppose you've done a, we'll do a traffic study because that intersection is very heavily traveled during work traffic hour, either going east and west or up to the lead center KU. And so I have a concern about the buses coming in from those directions going going south and then having to turn into the center, the bus center. Is that how they're gonna come? They're gonna come off of the road that leads up to the lead center? Or is it gonna come right off of Bob Billings Parkway? 
I would say right now we're leaning towards most of the routes coming in and out on Crestline. Uh, although those designs haven't been completely developed and, and flushed out yet. We're also looking at some options where the buses would enter on Crestline and potentially some of them could exit uh, right out only on the bound buildings going, I believe it's east. So yeah, it's probably gonna, a lot of the access is gonna come from right there. Tony mentions off Crestline as a likely scenario, but right there from Bob Billings, I don't see um, there being much bus activity to the south along Crestline um, or even north along Crestline. I mean, I think it's, it's gonna be a lot of buses either coming from the east or west along Bob Billings and then accessing. I'm just thinking of turning into the bus center at that time of day during work traffic. Um, yes. I think it needs to be when you do your traffic study, certainly something to look at because it is busy down there. Uh, I live in that neighborhood. I live in Sunset. And, um, and that has been a concern of mine. Um, and if Meadowbrook happens to develop the empty space that's there, then the density increases there, I'm which means more traffic. So. I think when you look at how you're going to enter and exit, I, I think that is a concern of mine. Um, my other concerns are, um, you're talking about a lot of increased buses in that intersection. Um, I have a problem with the noise pollution. Um, that is a very hilly neighborhood and the noise really travels. Now, are these going to be buses that are going to be electric so that we don't have the, the noise factor? So electric certainly where we're headed. Um, that, that's something that can't happen overnight, but we do have uh, five electric buses coming next year. Um, so when this facility would open, we would have those able to be running, those we won through a federal grant in 2020. Um, we're pursuing more electric buses this year and are are looking to do fleet replacement with those instead of diesel um, for a lot of reasons inclusive of of noise but the intention on the on the city side is to go that direction um, uh, i know ku also has you know kind of their own purchasing program and and different things so um, as far as all the buses you see around town being electric one day that's that's a long-term task but certainly a ton of benefits to doing so, uh, including the noise factor. Right, I mean, because I, I just live off of Crestline at Stratford, and I do hear the buses going through Meadowbrook. And um, so I'm thinking we're gonna get increased noise from all of that happening at the hub. Um, so that's a concern. So the, the traffic flow and work traffic uh, time, and then, um, and then the noise pollution, um, and then I guess my other questions probably will have to do with the city. Um, this has nothing to do with the design center, the, the design. So I'll, I'll save that last question for another time. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, just in regard to the traffic, we have civil engineers on our, on our team and uh, those kinds of impacts and concerns in regard to use of the center are definitely going to be looked at as part of this. Damon has a question there. Damon. 
Yes, hello. Um, yeah, hi, I'm, I'm just here as a private citizen. Um, I work downtown and mostly I commute by bike, but occasionally, um, you know, if the weather's not great, I'll take the bus. I, I ride the three line to get downtown to work. Um, and I'm an occasional K10 connector rider. Um, so I have one, one comment and two questions. Um, one, my one comment would be, is there consideration for bicycle parking um, at the downtown hub? So I know that, especially when I take the K10, I typically bike to it and hope that I can ride with a bike on the bus. But you know, if those spots are filled, it would be nice to have bike parking at a facility just in case. Um, and then two questions. One was accessibility with the uh, with the sawtooth configuration. I'm just wondering if is there going to be a raised platform and curb, you know, in between where the buses pull in and how does one wheeling onto the bus, how does that work? Is it, is it better or worse with, with this con configuration? Um, and then the third, just probably wishful thinking, but I was wondering if there was any more talks about eliminating the fare box. Um, I know I'd, I'd seen some reporting from LJ World that that was, um, you know, possibly being considered in the future. I was wondering if there's any updates on that. I'll take the first one, Adam, and then you can follow up on the fare box. Um, both program, uh, the program out at Bob Billings and Crestline does call for bike storage lockers and um, regular bike lockable parking area as well. Um, but if you're more comfortable with having it in a storage locker, there, are, there is provision for those that's, that's being planned. Um, the sawtooth configuration, the way they're laid out, we leave ample room for the front and bus to have the bike rack down and to have the two bikes on it. So that's, there's always plenty of room in front for you to be able to approach your bike and take it off uh, the rack. Um, are you in a, are you a wheelchair user, Damon? Um, no, I'm not. Okay. I, I, I guess I was reading into your, your uh, comments then, but as far as accessibility on the sawtooth, yes, it's a raised platform. Um, yes, we have clear paths that are, you know, meet ADA requirements. Um, most of the time, those islands in the center, the clear path is anywhere from 15 to 17 feet. So there's plenty of room for people to comfortably move between buses um, on that island. And then we also incorporate uh, canopies and other shelter items uh, for wind screening and you know, being out of the elements, rain and so forth. You can never completely eliminate the elements, obviously outside, but we do some other things. And then we try to do that in such a way where it doesn't impede the flow of uh, pedestrians and wheelchairs on the platform. Yeah, and I, ju I just put something in the chat as well. We have on our project page, there's a video to describe the purpose and the timeline of this project uh, and, and how it connects with route redesign. Within that video, there's a couple example uh, photos of what sawtooth bays look like in other communities and at other transit stations. So since we don't have those in our community at this time, that might be useful for some, some folks to start thinking about what it actually means um, in kind of a finished state. Uh, for the 
uh, fair free discussion, that is something we are um, expecting and asking our uh, route redesign study consultant to help us talk through. That's been um, a topic that has come up through the public and through commissioners over the last few years. And it's uh, a discussion that we need to have so that we can decide if that's a path we can take or not. Um, we you know, functionally, you know, we operate in a um, uh, kind of a closed box of a certain amount of funding. So um, fair free is absolutely possible. Uh, it would require um, reduction in other areas of our, our budget likely service. So are, are we okay with fair free if it means that, the, that some of the buses come less frequently? Those are some of the uh, challenging trade-offs we'll, we'll need to discuss through the context of route redesign. Um, but we are expecting to have that discussion, um, especially as we see other communities and nearby communities like Kansas City um, really pushing forward with that. Um, we just wanna make sure we do it in a, a thoughtful way. Um, but we, but we do want to have that discussion this, this year. Right. I appreciate that. Thanks, Adam. And uh, Adam and Damon, I just kind of wanted to piggyback off of the question about the budget a little bit, just so you guys all know that the student-run bus system on the KU side, KU on Wheels, is almost entirely funded by student fees. We go to their student government on campus every year to request you know, the same amount of funding, if not more. And kind of the reason I bring this up is the previous question regarding um, noise pollution and, you know, are we going electric? What's the city doing? What's KU doing? Uh, it, it's KU's intention, too, to start getting in the business of, of getting electric buses. Um, this first grant that Adam just talked about, we actually were trying to split that grant, uh, the five buses between the two of us, but COVID hit and kind of messed up the student side of the budget. So um, the city will be procuring all five of those buses this first time around. So we just need to get a little better handle on our on our budget to kind of find out post COVID how things are going to look to find out uh, how how many or how not many will be able to dabble in in the KU side of purchasing electric buses. So I just wanted to throw that out as well. Thank you. On that last box you guys just typed up, um, there actually there is a parking contribution to that too. So while it's primarily student fees, uh, the parking department at KU also puts in a portion of funding to uh, fund the bus system on campus. So you might want to add and parking on there too, or add KU parking. Okay. Thanks. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Another question? Damon, you still have your hand up. Do you have another question? Oh, no, I do not. Sorry about that. I'll put it down. <laughs> this is Tony. I, I've gotten silent because I was trying to connect my laptop um, so I could show some pictures of Sawtooth if we had a couple of minutes at the end, but I can't seem to get access to their internet here, even though I did yesterday. Um, what is it? Wireless. I might have it now. We'll see. I have to get on the first. <laughs> there we go. 
meeting Wait, one second. Technical. I got it. Give me. It's eighteen one two seven one three nine six five one. It sounds like an awful long passcode. Passcode. Oh, the passcode. Passcode. Sixteen. People are interested in seeing some um, sawtooth. I can. I can do that. Would, would folks like to see that? Is that a yeah. good idea, Adam? Okay. Yeah, just still encourage people to chime in if they have other thoughts they want to get out, but that sounds like a good use of time. Okay. Sounds like we've got most of the feedback that we need. I also saw, I just noticed Fleece also put in some other things we're thinking about these sites, just that maybe you'll get the wheels turning for folks on other amenities or elements that you might care about as a um, as a writer or aesthetically or functionally how these things fit together. Okay, I'm going to share my screen and let's hope this works here. Okay, so this is the Kemper Street, uh, it's a 5,000 square foot um, Whoops, let's go down a little bit there. My apologies, I gotta get that back to, <laughs> shouldn't have clicked on that, should I? Let's try that again. All right, so this is a 5,000 square foot uh, intermodal that Adam has seen quite a few pictures of. This is the waiting facility. And this is a sawtooth configuration. So if I can get this to be just a little bit bigger without it being too large. Can you folks see that very well? There we go. That's a little better. One more. All right. So you can see. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I like using my mouse a lot better. But let's just stay on this photo here. So you can see this is a sawtooth where the buses can circle all the way around. And so you can see there's three on this one side. And so the buses could come in and out. There's covered canopy. There's a natural light that can come in. Um, so that just gives you an idea of what a sawtooth configuration looks like. In this particular design, uh, if you look on the left side of the drawing, you can see that there were, this was built into a hillside and there's a very large retaining wall behind it as well. And then there's a, uh, an Amtrak station right next to it. Let me just share a few more pictures and maybe that get a little closer. Here's another view, uh, a nighttime view with the canopy well lit. There's 10, slot, 10 slips. You're looking at the end of slip number 10. Um, in this particular design, there's some seating areas that are actually function as seating and landscaping. You can see that uh, fixture on the end. Let's see, these are construction. Let me see if I can. So they basically kind of pull in at an angle and then go forward and pull out. 
Correct. So they basically, yeah, they basically can all pull in independently. And again, this is a this is a real good photo right here, just for point of reference. It really is because it, it shows you um, how that works. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, that's maybe a little more helpful for folks to get an idea of what a sawtooth is. I have one other concern. Sure. Now that I saw that. Okay. Um, what about light pollution? Uh, you, you say these are really, really lit up. Um, well, the key, the key to lighting, and we have. Uh, architectural uh, design experts on our in our organization. Um, the key is to light the area that you want to light, not the whole world. I'm sure you've seen the parking lots of the car dealerships that are lighting up the whole city. Um, there's ways that we can do directional lighting so that you're lighting up the area that needs to be lit. Um, so definitely are very um, cognizant of that. And, and uh, not bright lights, but maybe golden lights. Um, there's a lot of different hues with uh, hues and candle, you know, ratings for different LED lighting. And uh, we have a, a, in our architecture group, we have 95 architects. Um, so we've got a lot of experience with projects, indoor and outdoor lighting. So um, we'll be very uh, cognizant of that. Albert, you had a comment? I see a hand up. It's not Albert, but uh, this is Frida Gip. Um. There's, an, there's an Albert in that household, though, right? <laughs> yes, there is, but he's in the other room. Um, so it's probably a question for both of you, but um, trying to read through those studies and stuff that you have on your site, um, it doesn't say, or I, maybe I didn't read it uh, carefully enough about like the current structures that are out there now, are those going to be all taken down, reassigned? Um, I, I am representing Haskell Nations University, and I know we have a small structure there. Um, so are those, is it going to be moved or is it going to be, is that part of the, um, and, and I also want to um, convey my appreciation to the person that talked about uh, Greyhound. We have a lot of our students who come in on Greyhound and Amtrak and, um, you know, I think, you know, having something that would offer, you know, our students that ability to, you know, take the bus directly or transfer a couple of times, because that's usually what we have to do directly to the university would be helpful. Um, as of now, it's kind of hit or miss because, you know, we don't have taxi service. And, and unless we know a student's coming in, we're not able to, to get down there and pick them up. Um, so those are just a couple of my questions that I had. I guess I want to clarify, Frida, when you mentioned the uh, couple of structures on Haskell, are, do you mean the bus shelters for the, the yeah, stops that yeah. serve Haskell? Yeah. yeah, I think there's just one. There's just one there. Yep. So, so yes, we all of our bus stop amenities kind of uh, out along routes and different things. There's no intention to remove those because we're putting in kind of these main transfer areas. Um these are to enhance kind of the, the major transfer points where we have a bunch of different routes coming together. Um, in, in general, we do have also a bus stop amenity program where we're trying to make those, those individual bus stops that are out on routes around town um, 
make improvements at those. So make them ADA compliant, add benches, add shelters, um, that sort of thing. So, so certainly wouldn't be an intention to, to take down any of those because of these uh, kind of more centralized, I guess, um, facilities. Okay. And, and I do know a couple of years ago I did, and probably before you were there, Adam, um, I, I live in the Prairie Park neighborhood and um, I had driven out to the homeless shelter to drop some stuff off. And I had asked then if there was going to be a shelter put out there. And I was told no, because they were going to do. And then yet you have people have to stand out there. And so I just feel like, you know, you see all these little homemade bus things. And I was hoping that at some point that would shame the city of Lawrence into doing something good, but um, it hasn't. So I'm just sharing with you that yeah. I hope I, and, and also for Haskell students, well, they haven't been on this call. Most of the students that were on the, the initial planning committee um, uh, for whatever reason weren't able to attend, but I know we are very invested in maintaining that stop that we have. Um, while we don't um, provide any funding for the bus services, I think in the future, that's always something that has been talked about, maybe not through the student fees, but through other means um, to maintain that um, access for our students because we do have students who live off campus, but also take classes at the University of Kansas. And those students who take those classes, then through whatever means are able to ride because now they would have an ID from KU. So we want to make sure that it's equitable across the board for our students as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I did. I do want to circle back. We are happy to say there is. Uh, we got last fall a shelter installed out at the near the community shelter at their at their bus stop out there. It was part of seven bus stops that were improved through a round of improvements, and we are looking at um, twenty additional sites. This hopefully by this summer. We're working through kind of our last piece of design before we get those bid out for construction work. Um, so we are trying to address some of those issues you you and others in the community have certainly noticed. Um, part of the balance of that is with our impending route redesign, we just have to be thoughtful about where we're putting infrastructure in the ground. So the ones we move forward on, we feel pretty confident will remain in the context of, of route redesign. But certainly um, once these new facilities would open and route redesign would go into effect, uh, in 2022, we'll have a lot clearer vision of, um, you know, a lot more willingness to definitely put out bus stop improvements at different places because we'll be more confident that they'll exist long term. Um, but that's not stopping us, like I said, from trying to do some improvements now at stops where um, almost certain will be will be still be there um, in the context of route redesign. Yeah, Frida, one thing I wanted to add into, this is quiz at KU um, several years ago, and I'm talking several, I don't even want to put a number on it. I'll just say late 90s, early 2000s, um, KU on Wheels, actually from the KU campus, we entertained a program from Haskell uh, and we let Haskell students ride the bus system at no cost. And over the years, I'm not sure how or why, but over the years, um, that just kind of went away. And so Adam and I, We've actually talked about this two or three times over the last year, probably. And, you know, one thing that one thing that I don't want to say is prohibiting uh, prohibiting us from doing it now is that we're, you know, we're, we're collectively the city's probably real close and making a decision on what's going to be happening with fare free or not fare free. So that could be right around the corner. That could be just a little bit out. We're, we're not quite sure. Um, 
and I brought this up at our, our transit commission a couple of times, just um, with our internal groups. And, um, um, you know, if, if we offer the, the free ridership component to, to a particular s- subset of folks in the community, then somebody else hears about it and now they want it. And then somebody else hears about it and now they want it, um, which leads us to the, are we going fair free, you know, at some point anyhow. So I just want to tell you, we've, we've been talking about this pretty recently. Um, and I don't know if we'll have any movement on a decision like that in the near term, but um, it, I, I'm going to just tell you, if you be patient a little bit, it might be around right around the corner somehow in some way, shape or fashion, but I'll leave my email in the chat room in case you want to give me a holler and, and we can move forward on discussions on that. All right. I appreciate that. And I'm um, representing Tonya Salvini, um, Vice President University Services uh, for Haskell. Um, but I also um, know that that fare free um, initiative would be really, a, to me, a great plus for East Lawrence. I always um, have a heart for East Lawrence. Uh, uh, well, I live in Prairie Park, but I you know, uh, lived when I first moved here into East Lawrence, and I feel like sometimes East Lawrence gets overlooked. Okay, we still have 22 minutes if we have some more or... I think we're willing to stay on the call if we have more input. Barry has a call. Yeah, go ahead, Barry. Um, yeah, I appreciated uh, the uh, list that Laverne posted in the chat a little bit earlier, and I'm sure you've all thought about this already, but um, just wanted to make sure it was mentioned, and that is... Um, Wi-Fi. That would be a really great amenity to have available, particularly if, um, you know, there's a significant wait time between um, arriving on one bus and leaving on another one. We're in the dark again. Yeah. Light, maybe lights would be good too. <laughs> Um, we'll make sure that the lights stay on in the facility no matter what happens. <laughs> um, I think one, we've heard lots of things. We've heard, you know, charging stations for cell phones, iPads, laptops, things like that. Okay. Uh, wheelchairs even. Um, so I think we're, we're going to have, a, you know, a list of amenities that, um, that are going to be very complimentary to the users, uh, the clients, and... You know, we've built a lot of these uh, multimodals, um, probably 35 or 40 of them, to be honest. And so we've got a good knowledge base as an organization, what people want in them. We hear a lot of the same things in the engagement. And so um, we're going to, I think, Adam, aren't you going to put free Wi-Fi on all the buses? That has not been a discussion yet. I've been in talks like that at other agencies before. <laughs> it um, is, it it. It's an interesting one for, um, it falls on different priority lists for, for passengers um, or people who might be passengers. I, I don't know that in our community we've seen it rise to the top yet, given some other priorities that people do want to see us make for improvements. But um, it's, it's, it's going to be probably on every list, right? It's, it's one of those things that, that tends to 
to come up. I was only kidding, but I probably shouldn't have said that because now I plan to seed. <laughs> um, it's pretty common for us to see Wi-Fi in transit centers. Jennifer makes a good point in the chat. Um, I will say in our discussion with Greyhound that did come up, we talked about, um, you know, and talking with Brad Allen, the library director on how people use the library in Greyhound and in some cases need to print tickets or find places to purchase tickets with cash. So there's some of those logistics that we're still, um, that we'll need to talk through with Greyhound on functionally how that works for us. Part of the other, um, you know, maybe still a moving part uh, is, is just making making sure we understand what our staffing might look like at the facility at, at Bob Billings and Crestline. A customer service person, for example, that would be able to help with something like that uh, versus a like kiosk type machine where um, you wouldn't need a person, but someone could get things done, um, you know, with, with technology. So some of those type of details are up in the air, but that's a great comment that that's a functional thing that people using Greyhound would be interested in. There's also a very, very robust uh, set of developments that are happening in the, in the mobile ticketing world that are creating more and more flexibility. Um, and one of those that Greyhound actually mentioned yesterday, and that is that if you have a government issued ID, the best example would be a Medicare card or a driver's license that you can purchase your ticket online at the library and your form of identification for the driver would be, for the Greyhound driver as an example, would be that ID, that government issued ID or Medicare card. And then when you board the bus, um, the driver has uh, an iPad or a mobile device that he uses where he looks you up, matches your ID to that, and you don't actually need a paper ticket. So lots of changes that are happening in that that can remove some of those barriers as well. That physical need to have that paper, that is. Anything else that's in the chat that we've missed or? Looks like Barry, you have another question. Barry may just have his hand up. <laughs> yes. So go ahead, Barry, if you do. Pick his hand down. Okay, thanks, Barry. Um, okay. Well, this is great. We had a lot more people join us than I thought. It's really nice. We've got over 30 people. So this is a great uh, input from everybody. And in person, people too, that would be nice. <laughs> So, um, Adam, um, if our comment is, uh, if we, have, we don't have any more comments, how is your feeling on closing this out, or do you want us to stay open? Would you prefer us to stay open for the next uh, 15. Uh, 15 more minutes? I think it's probably um, smart to stay open, just to be available. But for the sake of this group, would it make sense to just talk a little bit about next steps? I mean, I know our early early question about can we can we see something is there a drawing yet I, I think um, that's always a lot easier for people to react to so maybe 
discussion about when that's coming and, and what that looks like in the next couple of months? Um, I, well, I think what we know is that we've, you know, we start, we presented some information this morning to some very cursory, um, this is really how big is big and how does it fit what we call test fits. And that's, you know, we know spatially what we need, um, for each bus and for center islands, you know, for, you know, movement inside the complex, so to speak out at Bob Billings. We don't have floor plans revised. You know, we have got to the point where we know um, how big the facility we think should be for Bob Billings. Um, we have a benchmark of five buses for downtown and we have a good idea of what amenities we need downtown. So we know what those footprints look like. So we're just starting to, I guess for lack of a better term, in a 2D format, see how that overlays on the land um, on that you know spatially from the you know drawings that we have that are to scale um, by tomorrow we have hope to have some more uh, information to show the city and the university um, that's really not ready for public consumption yet we need to give them the opportunity to give feedback on our ideas um, but by June, um, when we come back, we're gonna have some pretty refined layouts and building diagram, not diagrams, but building floor plans and site plans that the community can react to. Um, and then I think Adam, the plan would be after that, uh, once we have a layout and we have uh, kind of a, a basic site plan in place, then we start going into the next design phases. Some of those design phases are critical because they're going to, you know, be doing things like soil borings and things like that to make sure we know what we're dealing with in the land. Um, we can't just necessarily say we're going to build something and then not know what's underneath it, not know what those impacts are. Um, but we're going to know basic layouts, site some basic site plan information and uh, have estimated costs based on standards and data that we've collected um, from the building industry that has also been impacted by COVID as well. So um, all of that is going to be going to Adam over the next uh, month and a half. And then again, as I said, we hope to come back in June to do uh, public meetings. Uh, we'll meet with our primary stakeholders, the city and the university before we do that. Um, to make sure that they're in agreement with what we want to show the public because they are the, uh, the final decision makers. But then we'll do that public engagement um, and uh, get the reaction to the actual final plans uh, options. We're doing three options for Bob Billings. We're going to have, as a group, um, we're going to be recommending what we think is the best. Um, that's you know, kind of the way the consensus process works but we wanna show you the different options that we've looked at, and then we'll tell you how we weigh the pros and cons of those um, to get to that process. So that's kind of the process going forward. Unfortunately, we can't come here and in four days show you a design. It's not, um, the real world moves pretty quickly, but not that quickly. So um, appreciate your patience, but we thought it was important. And uh, this was really Adam's idea, not ours. 
Um, a lot of times we don't do the public meetings this early on, but I'm glad that we did. It was uh, a good call on Adam's part to engage with the general public um, to get the feedback on the front end rather than coming to you and say, look what we've decided for you. Um, and so this has been a good process. So we're uh, very pleased with how things have gone so far. And we're hoping Adam is pleased too. And the university. Yeah, things are going well. Yeah, I just want to give the folks on this call a little confidence that the next time you see something, it won't be the final, final thing, and there will be opportunity for adjustment. And, you know, that this is a tricky time for public engagement because we don't have much to show you, but that also makes it really important, right? And that's for us to understand um, before pen is really hitting paper in an earnest way, um, that we understand what, what you care about and what you would like to see and not like to see. So I think we've heard some of that today and at all the meetings we've already done this week and um, hopefully we'll hear more at tonight's meeting as well. Yeah, and so just to piggyback on what Adam is saying, that's exactly right. Um, you know, we're not doing something that's set in stone. We're gonna have recommendations, but we won't have officially started the detailed design, schematic design process until we have done that public engagement the second time around and have gotten uh, consensus with the city, the university, and um, done that after we've got the public engagement piece settled. And then once we decide on a final plan for both locations, then we get into that more detailed design, floor plans, layouts, uh, soil investigations, all of those things that are required to actually design the project and bid it and build it. Anybody have any questions on any of that? Right, so um, you're free to stay, you're free to go. We're gonna just leave this session open for the next 10 minutes. Um, if you wanna share in the chat box or if you need to leave, that's fine too. As Adam said, if you have any follow-up, um, Aaron as well said the same thing, Cuisenberry uh, over at the university, if you have any follow-up, I think their emails are in the chat box. Yes, they are. Feel free to reach out uh, to them. Frida, are you? No, she's, are you needing to make a comment, Frida? Oh, good, okay. Right, so thanks everybody for uh, coming and we'll just hang tight here for a few minutes. Hey, Tony, while we have time, there was, there was a comment early on about lighting color temperature. Mm -hmm. And since you don't understand the Lawrence politics, um, there's been a lot of uh, public comment that we need to have 3000 Kelvin light temperature. So I think that's what the person was referring to. Okay. I wish I knew what 3000 Kelvin was, Gary, but I don't know. But. It's, it's more of a warmer color. And there's actually a KU professor that has commented, if you are a 4000 Kelvin, um, then that interrupts people's sleep capability. So there's been a lot of comment about 3000 K lights, at least when it comes to along the streets. Okay. Well, that'll be good to know and make sure that you're helping us with that. 
Um, maybe that's something our architectural staff already knows. Just so everybody knows, I am a... No. No, probably, they probably don't know. I mean, I, I've been I've designed lighting before, so but that was the heads up. I think what where they were going with that, and we can talk about that more. Sure. Too. I'll take that back to our our folks. Even Evergy, our local energy company, recommends for four thousand Kelvin. So. Well, that's something that's, I'm glad you mentioned Evergy um, for the people that are on the call. We never even talked about that. Um, we're very big on sustainability as an organization. We have an entire division of our company that's uh, devoted to sustainability, um, resiliency, and uh, climate initiatives. And um, we are Wendell is also an energy company, so we do a lot of energy uh, renovation projects, solar, battery, electric bus, and so forth. So we are looking at a lot of different sustainability components on this site, everything from water, solar, uh, lighting, um, all of those things are being uh, looked at as part of this site. Uh, we would not be surprised to see solar on the canopy, solar on the building, um, out at Bob Billings and potentially solar on the canopies downtown as well, if it works. Um, so that's also a component of this project. Okay. I think, um, you know, we've had some people drop off. It's probably uh, unlikely someone's joining with six minutes left to go. We'll okay. probably close the meeting and then um, hopefully if other thoughts or comments roll in, people send this to us directly or rejoin us this evening. Yes. Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody, then. I appreciate it. Um, maybe we'll see some of you again at 6 o'clock.